Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, turn your Bibles with us this evening to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. We're talking about and have been uh, teaching a series on the Holy Ghost for the last several weeks. We want to continue along that line. And we're using John, 1 John 4, 4 as a, a text, as a beginning point. It says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now, them he's referring to are the evil spirits that are in operation in this world in the previous verses. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, we've, uh, we've looked at some things about the Holy Ghost and, um, and, uh, over the last several weeks, and we found that there were five different examples, events, where people, an individual or a group of people, were filled with the Holy Ghost in the early days of the church. And in each one of those, four out of the five specifically identifies that the people that received the Holy Ghost or were filled with the Holy Ghost or were baptized in the Holy Ghost, those are synonymous terms in the Scripture. But they, those that received the Holy Ghost began to speak in other tongues. The only one where it says somebody was filled with the Holy Ghost and does not identify that they began to speak in tongues at that moment or at that time is Paul. He was filled with the Holy Ghost when Ananias came and found him after he, had been, after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it says that he was, his eyes were opened by the things that Ananias did in obedience to what God told him to do. It says Paul's eyes were opened and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, we know that Paul says in writing to the Corinthians that he did speak in tongues. So that's just let, that, um, uh, that simply leaves us with trying to determine when did he begin to speak with other tongues. Well, since we've got four other examples of where an individual or a group of people we're filled with the Holy Ghost, and the evidence of that was uh, speaking in other tongues. We would have no scriptural evidence whatsoever to conclude that Paul began to speak with other tongues at any point other than when he was filled with the Spirit. Now, as a result, we found that uh, we've looked in the Bible and we've seen that Jesus spoke of the work of the Holy Ghost as being a twofold work. Or we might be better off by saying there's a twofold experience with the Holy Ghost. We know the Holy Ghost is the one that recreates us makes us a new creation, a new spirit man when we accept Jesus as the Lord of our lives. And every born-again believer, everybody that's ever made Jesus their Lord and Savior, has received the Holy Ghost, a deposit of the Holy Ghost. But we also see that several times in the Scripture where someone had already been saved, they were given the opportunity by both Peter and Paul in two different occasions to receive the Holy Ghost after they believe. Paul says, it says that in uh, Acts chapter 19, when Paul was in Ephesus, he found certain disciples and he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, he, he recognizes the believers. He assumes that they've accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior because of the, the way they're living their lives and conducting themselves. And so he seeks to bring them to the second experience. Now he finds out that they didn't know anything other than John's baptism. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, talking about Jesus who would come after him. And so when Paul told the people these things, they received Jesus gladly, and then they were filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. So we see there's a private side and a public side to the work of the Holy Ghost. The private side is when we get saved, when we give our lives to the Lord, but that's not being full of the Holy Ghost. Brother Hagin used to say it this way, you could have a drink of water, but that wouldn't mean you were full of water. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is an increased measure of the same spirit, but an increased measure that results in speaking with other tongues as the initial evidence. Now, also remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Why don't you turn back to Acts 1, 8. These disciples that saw Jesus after his resurrection, that confessed him as their Lord and Savior, that experienced a change in them. They became bold. They became full of joy instead of fearful and... Uh, hiding behind closed doors, afraid of the Jews. So we see something has happened to them, and, and what we see has happened to them is the same thing that happens when anybody gets born again. But they were directed by Jesus to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Ghost was poured out, and that happened on the day of Pentecost. Jesus said, before they received the Holy Ghost, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, but you shall receive power. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So Jesus is telling them that there's a, a second experience with the Holy Ghost. He calls it 
receiving the Holy Ghost. The Bible calls it being filled with the Holy Ghost. In other places, it calls it being baptized in the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. That second experience, the one following salvation, is to bring power. You shall receive power. It's interesting that he didn't say you shall receive tongues. He said you shall receive power. And as I said, in every example that we have in the New Testament of somebody receiving the Holy Ghost or being filled with the Holy Ghost, the evidence is speaking out of the tongues. So there's got to be a connection between tongues and the power of God. Has to be. If Jesus said you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you or after you're filled with the Spirit, and the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is speaking in other tongues, then there has to be a direct connection between tongues and the power of God. Now look with me to John chapter 14. Jesus is spending the last night with his disciples before he's betrayed, given up to the, into the hands of the Jews. And Jesus is telling them about going the way to the Father. Notice verse 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, he's talking about the Holy Ghost. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Notice verse 18, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. Now, what does he mean? I will not leave you comfortless. If you look up the word in the Greek, it means orphans. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, when is he talking about coming to us? Is he saying, I'll return from heaven prior to the tribulation period so that you can have comfort? Well, folks, if that's what he meant, then that leaves everybody in the church age, during the church age, without any help of the Holy Ghost. If he's saying, tough it out till I come back in the rapture, to gather you together into heaven. If that's what he's saying, then we have no help of the Holy Ghost during the church age. Well, we know that's not right. So that can't be what he's saying. So when he says, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come unto you. The, the way, the means, the vehicle whereby we receive comfort or help. Really, the word uh, comforter is the Greek word paraclete. And it means seven different things. And one of them is helper. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you without help. I will not leave you without strength, which is another name, another uh, word that defines this uh, paraclete, this Greek word paraclete. I will not leave you orphans. I won't leave you without power. I will not leave you without a standby. I will not leave you without a helper. I will not leave you without an intercessor. And the other meanings of those words as well. When did we receive the comfort or the help or the strength of the standby or the intercessor? When we were filled with the spirit. So when Jesus says I will come unto you. He's talking about the Holy Ghost being poured out. On the day of Pentecost. During the church age. As being the means. Whereby he brings us help and comfort. So there's got to be a connection between tongues and power. Got to be a connection. And I believe. You can think about this on your own. And see what you come up with as well. But I believe the fact that the Bible indicates specifically that tongues are the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit is trying to show us the connection between tongues and power. Now let's skip down a little bit further into the chapter. Jesus says something else about the Holy Ghost. Uh, let's look at verse 26. He said, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, he specifies who the Comforter is, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Notice here he says that the Comforter is connected to peace. The Comforter is connected to the peace of God. Well, if the comforter is evidence in our lives, and again, we're talking about the baptism of the Spirit, being filled with the Holy Ghost. If the comforter or the presence of the Holy Ghost is identified with peace and the evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost is tongues, then that means speaking with tongues has to not only provide power, but also peace for our Christian lives. Let me remind you of something that uh, the Old Testament says, Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 11, 
for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. He's got to be talking about speaking in tongues. He's got to be talking about the baptism of the Spirit. For with stammering lips and another tongue will, I, will he speak unto this people to whom he said. This is God's intent and God's purpose in us being filled with the Spirit. To whom he said, this is the rest. What's the rest? Well, verse 26 just talked about, or I'm sorry, verse 11 just talked about stammering lips and speaking with an, a, another tongue. And he says this, speaking with tongues, is the rest. Wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. It's interesting that the end of that verse says, and yet they would not hear. What's one of the biggest controversial points in all of church history, if not speaking with other tongues? You got so much idea, different ideas. People say, some people say, well, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I just don't speak in tongues. Others say God wants everybody to be filled with the Spirit, but not everybody will speak in tongues. It's always about tongues. Hardly anybody will ever stand up and say, no, I'm saved. I've got all of God I want. Just leave me alone. I know I'm going to heaven, so I'll take care of it from there. Now, we may live our lives that way, but nobody would admit to that. Notice the connection between peace. Rest and refreshing both have uh, our characteristics of peace. With stammering lips and another tongue will I speak unto this people. This is the rest and this is the refreshing. Of all the times that I've faced something that was too big for me, obviously obviously more difficult, and a harder problem than I had the physical strength to encounter or endure. Every time I'm asked for the help of the Holy Ghost, I always get the same thing. I get a prompting or an impression to speak in tongues. It's something where if, you, if, you, if you're filled with the Spirit and you're sincere in asking God for help, He'll always lead you back to speaking in other tongues. Because that brings the peace of God. Back in the 1980s, early 80s, Brother Hagen was, uh, I was working with Brother Hagen. Beth and I were both working there at the ministry, Kenneth Hagen Ministries. And, uh, and there was a gentleman that came for a couple of years to the Winter Bible Seminars. And um, because he came a couple of times, we've, we, many of the people in the administration, found out who he was and what was going on. He was a, the UN ambassador from Swaziland. Now, Swaziland somewhere in the African continent. I don't really even know where it is. But at the time... There was a lot of political upheaval and wars being fought between different tribes in the country and so forth. And, uh, and he, he was, we found out that he was a spirit-filled Christian and that it had gotten a hold of a lot of Brother Hagin's books and his materials. And they had impacted him so much that he wanted to come and see for himself the Winter Bible Seminar and meet Brother Hagin and all that kind of stuff. Well, Brother Hagin made friends with him according to the man's own desires. And uh, Brother Hagin had, had him share a couple of times during the, uh, the three or four Winter Bible Seminars he attended. But one time, the first time that he was there, he explained that, that his country was in a, uh, well, all but a civil war. There was a lot of fighting, a lot of stuff going on. And he said, as the ambassador to the UN, he said, I, I had uh, different factions of people in the country, different groups in, in the country that were trying to pull him different ways and try to get his, him to give them his support so that he could do something at the UN and gain help for one tribe or one group of people over another and that kind of thing. And he said this. He said, living where we live, he said, there's a lot of jungle in the, in the, the country of Swaziland. And he said, you learn real quickly, living in the jungle, that it's always encroaching toward the place that you were last cleared out or whatever. He said, in fact, it's necessary to make a, daily, uh, um, a regular part of your routine to cut back the undergrowth and keep it cut back. And then he said this. The reason I remember the story is he said, it's like that spiritually too. He said, you can't just clear out of, you know, make a clearing spiritually or naturally in that part of the world. And expect it to stay that way forever. He said it takes daily. Continuous maintenance. To keep what you cleared out last week. Cleared out this week. 
And I thought, what a great example for speaking in other, other tongues. And that's what he said. He said, we found, he and the, the team that uh, were representing the country at the United Nations, he said, we found that the way you can keep things cleared out spiritually is by speaking in other tongues. A couple of years later, there was a, a, a group of Russian people that came to the seminar and it was right about the time, and, and I don't know how many of you remember the 80s. I know the young people weren't even around then, but I don't know what they've heard about the 80s and whether or not what they've heard is accurate and true. But nevertheless, during the 80s, Reagan, Ronald Reagan was president, so there were a lot of political things being pushed forward. There was, um, there was a, a very definite, significant, and strong stand that the United States administ- the, uh, Reagan administration took against uh, the Soviet Union. And uh, right in the the midst of all the things that were going on with the breakup of the Soviet Union and everything else, this group came to the Winter Bible Seminar. And through an interpreter, they explained to us some things and and, uh, uh, told some things about why they would come. They had gotten a hold of some of Brother Haken's books in a language they understood. I don't know if it was their language or whatever. But somebody had translated into a language that, that they could read and understand. And so they got a hold of some of Brother Hagin's books. And so they stood there on the platform, and the, the lead guy, the guy that was doing the talking to the interpreter, held up a, a book that had been translated into a language he could understand, The Authority of the Believer. He said, this book and praying in tongues has saved our lives. Our lives have been spared. Our lives have been changed by this book and praying in, others, praying in other tongues, praying in the Spirit. He went on to explain... Uh, the length of time their uh, their country, the part of the Soviet Union that he lived in, had been under the control of the Soviet Union, and uh, uh, the heavy-handedness of the Soviet Union, Russia particularly, against their people and other people. And he said this. He said, "Our country shook off communism without firing a shot." And he said, "We credit that to the, this book, the authority of the believer, that told us who we were in Christ and praying in the Spirit." Now, as this thing went, as the breakup of the Soviet Union continued over the next couple of years, there was only one, maybe two, I think it was just one country that had any bloodshed when they threw off the, the, uh, the rule of the Soviet Union in their country. And at this time, the time that the guy was speaking, there had been bloodshed in, in that other country, maybe two, I'm not sure. I'd have to do some research, research on it to make sure which one it was. But it was a very small number. It was either one or two countries. He said, he spoke about one of these countries. He said, now, so-and-so country, they got free from the Soviet Union as well, but they lost ever so how many lives. He said, but there was not one drop of blood spilled in our country. We attribute that to praying in the Spirit and knowing who we were in Jesus. Now, folks, when Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you hear country-shaking events like this, it kind of makes us ashamed that we take for granted so many things that we have been given. And it, it identifies the tragic nature of so many believers, spirit-filled believers that don't speak in other tongues. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul, in speaking about tongues, says this, beginning in verse 1, he says, Follow after charity or love, and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto man, but unto God. Speaking with other tongues is direct, divinely inspired communication with God. Your spirit with a direct line to God. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Weymouth's translation says divine secrets. Now, is there any benefit to speaking in this means of divine communication that God has established for his people? Is there any benefit in speaking divine secrets in other tongues? Well, it must be or else God wouldn't have set it up that way. Paul goes on to say, But he that prophesieth speaking unto men, 
to edification and exhortation and comfort. Verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. We've talked about this word edifies. It literally means to build up. Or a common example that we could use today that everybody can relate to is recharge a battery. To build up a battery, to complete the battery. In the, um, uh, in the Greek language, this word edify carries the, the uh, word picture of putting a roof on a house. In other words, completing the construction or the building of something. So it speaks not only to building up, it speaks not only to empowerment, but it speaks of completion. He that speaketh an unknown tongue edifies himself. He edifies himself. Now Paul goes on to say some things. Well, let's just keep reading. He that speaketh an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. I would that you all spoke with tongues. Now, is Paul saying this just out of his own thought and his own feeling about something, or is he representing the Holy Ghost in the words that he's been given to write? If this book's not inspired by the Holy Ghost, we need to take it out. So Paul is prompted by the Holy Ghost. He realizes the Holy Ghost's will and desire in the matter, and he says, I would or I will or I want all of you to speak in other tongues. Well, now, how does the modern-day church come away with saying, and, and some people will say, well, even Paul took a dim view of speaking in tongues. Because he's correcting this church at Corinth who is speaking in tongues during church services all the time. And yes, he is. He is trying to bring correction so that everybody can be edified, everybody can be built up, everybody can be taught and learn the word. But why would he thank God for something if he took a dim view of it? Verse 18, he says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than all of you. Things I take a dim view of, I don't thank God for, do you? Of course not. Nobody does. So it's impossible to come away with the idea, if you really see what the the scripture says, it's impossible to come away with the idea that Paul took a negative view or negative position where speaking in tongues was was concerned. Because he said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Here he says, I would that you all spoke with other tongues. When Paul writes to the Ephesians and he tells them to be filled with the Spirit, he uses a play on words from the Greek language and he literally is saying be being filled. In other words, being filled with the Holy Ghost is not just a one-time event. It has a one-time beginning, but it should be a lifelong fountain of God's blessing in your life. Be being filled with the Spirit. It's a command from the Holy Ghost. Be being filled with the Spirit. So not only is he saying come into the baptism or the infilling of the spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues but since it's a continuous it's a continuous word that he uses he says let it continue to bring blessing into your life by utilizing what you have be being filled with the spirit Paul goes on let's keep reading here I would that you all spoke with tongues but rather that you prophesied for greater is he that prophesies than he that speaketh with tongues except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, please notice the last phrase, that the church would receive receive edifying or be edified. The very fact that he adds that tells us that he's talking about in verse 5, the operation of tongues versus prophecy in the church, in public settings. So he says, I would that you all spoke with tongues, but since we're talking about a public setting or a public service, church service, congregational service, He says, I'd rather in those circumstances that you prophesy. Because when you prophesy, everybody knows what you're saying because they can understand the language. So there's no way you can twist this around with Paul having a dim view or taking a dim view of tongues. He just simply says in a public service, if there's no interpretation, no interpreter available, he says it's better to prophesy than to speak with other tongues. Then he tells us, now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak unto you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? In other words, he's saying those are the things that I recognize would be most important if I visit you. Because if I visit you, and this would be true for everybody else, not just the Corinthians. If I visit you and spend all the time speaking in tongues, you're not going to know what I'm saying. 
So look at the priority that Paul places on teaching in the body of Christ, teaching the church who we are in Christ. He said, you'd be far and away better if I came to you with revelation. You'd be far and away better if I came to you with doctrine that you can understand and adhere to. To teach you about the things of God and who you are in Christ. You'd be far better off if I came to you prophesying. Which is speaking by the inspiration of the Lord. Of the Holy Spirit. In a known language. In the language that everybody can understand. He said that's what's going to benefit you the most. He's trying to bring order to their services. He goes on and he says. And even things without life. Giving sound. Whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? In other words, he's saying when it comes to alerting everybody, we need to operate in a language or a sound that everybody knows what it is. So likewise you, when you utter by the, so likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue, Words easy to be understood. How shall it be known what is spoken? For you shall speak unto the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, speaking with other tongues, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh unto me shall be, or speaketh, shall be a barbarian unto me. Inasmuch... Even so, you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, to this end, wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. So I want you to see what he's saying, folks. He's telling them how to operate with tongues and interpretation in church services. He says, and he will say, we'll read it specifically in a few verses. He says, if there's no interpreter... Then don't speak out in tongues because nobody else can understand. It'll edify you. Speaking in tongues always edifies you. It always edifies you. But he says in order to edify the church, there should be an interpretation or there should be a revelation from God, inspired utterance from God in a manner that everybody can understand. What is it then? Verse 15, I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. I want you to notice he says when I pray in an unknown tongue my spirit prays and I realize the value of that so I'm going to speak or pray in other tongues and I'm going to speak and pray in my known language according to my understanding. That's what understanding means there. It means the known language. That's what I'm going to do. Now skip down with me to verse 18. For the sake of time we'll cut over a couple of these. He said, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church, yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. What does that tell us? Well, it tells me that God didn't use Paul in in tongues and interpretation much in public services. But he said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. What's he doing? He's clearly talking about speaking in tongues in his private life. Has to be. Why would he want to do that? Well, he's the one that tells us in verse 4, he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself or charges himself up like a battery. It's an empowering experience where the power of God is made available to you and me in our uh, personal lives. Now, what do we know for sure? Well, we know for sure one thing, and that is when Jesus said you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We saw that when the disciples were filled with the Holy Ghost, the apostles were filled with the Holy Ghost, they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the power is not some visible uh, outflow or outpouring. The power that Jesus promised them in Acts 1.8 is not some visible outpouring of miracles and signs and wonders. See, folks, if every time we spoke in other tongues that was followed by some miracle, then everybody would get that. But the power of the Holy Ghost is obviously an unseen power, not a visible one.
It's an unseen power. But that didn't make it less powerful than it was visible, than if it was visible. What is that unseen power? That unseen power is the working of the Holy Ghost on the inside of us to prepare us for whatever is coming up, whatever is ahead of us. This is the rest, and this is the refreshing. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 1. I want to remind you of something Jesus said, talking to his disciples. We'll start in verse 28. He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, folks, let me point something out to you that Jesus is trying to get across. The logical progression here is that if we're hooked up with him, if we're yoked up with Jesus, it's not a hard thing to bear. So many times people run from God because they think that God's going to lead them into some hard, deprived, forlorn life existence. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we're weighed down from something, it's something other than the yoke that we carry with Jesus. Our plans, our programs, our attempts at doing good for God carry a huge burden. A lot of pressure, a lot of weight, a lot of concerns. But that should be the, the, the absolute certain sign that we're not doing it at God's direction. Because he said, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Now, when he talks about coming to him, all you that uh, are burdened and heavy laden, come unto me and I'll give you rest. How is that rest going to be given? What does that mean? I always get the picture of Psalm Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. Man, I love that, that picture. The mental image of that is like you can shut the world out. Everybody leave you alone. You're in tall grass with good, clean water. Well, I'm sure that that's the picture that he wants us to see because the 23rd Psalm is talking about the church age. But how do we come to him? Well, we come to him by receiving the things that he said we needed to take hold of. First of all, salvation. And secondly, the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So if we're going to live a peaceful life, we're going to have to learn of Jesus. Well, one of the things we learn of him is that he told us to be filled with the Spirit. He told us the comforter would come. That the comforter would be his peace. That he would send to us. Thank God he is. Let me give you a couple more references to prove my point. Look when they over to Philippians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 6 it says be careful for nothing. Another translation says don't be anxious or worry or fret about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Paul said that his plan, that his procedure, the way he operated was, I will pray with the Spirit and I'll pray with the understanding also. Now if the writer of those verses, I will pray with the Spirit, I see the value in that. I will pray with the understanding. I see the value in that. What do you think he means when he tells them to pray and supplicate? In everything, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. What kind of prayer do you think he's talking about there? Well, he's already disclosed to us that he prays two different ways. It's like a bicycle that has two wheels. To use one of the wheels and not the other is going to be a pretty dangerous ride. I will pray with the Spirit and I'll pray with the understanding also. And the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds. This is the rest. This is the refreshing. The peace of God is a result of the power of God that's put on display are made known to us by praying in other tongues. 
That's where the connection is. That's where the connection is. When you pray in other tongues, the power that it brings to you is the power to overcome by the peace of God. And you can't get it any other way. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Here's Paul writing another letter to the church. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. He's just talked about arming yourself with the, the armor of God. And here's the reason that we want to have the armor of God on. Or renew our mind to the truth of those other elements of the armor. Literally. Verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and all supplication. Or supplication for all saints. What's he saying? He's saying the reason is you need to learn who you are in Christ. And put on the armor of God. Is so that you can pray effectively. In the spirit. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Let's start in verse 26. Likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The word infirmity there means weakness. What weakness do we have? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We're limited by this natural body and this natural mind. We can only see part of God's plan and his purpose. Thank God for the part we can see. Thank God for at least knowing what to pray for. Even if we don't know all the things about it that we should be praying about. That's where the work of the Holy Ghost comes in. Likewise, the Spirit himself helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Amplified Bible says uttered in articulate speech. He's talking about tongues. The Holy Ghost helps you to pray the will of God in other tongues. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints by giving us utterance. According to the will of God. And we know. That all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them that are the called according to his purpose. Now a lot of times you'll hear that verse of scripture. Pulled out of context. Where any tragedy or any. Damaging event takes place in somebody's life. And then somebody will pop out with Romans 8.30. Well we know. That all things work together for good. To them that are called of God. According to his purpose. Well, folks, if you look at it in context, the all things working together for good only takes place after you pray in other tongues. And if we'd spend the time praying in other tongues that we need to, not only would we be strengthened, but we'd experience a measure of peace that most Christians don't have. And then things would work out to our advantage because we'd be praying in other tongues according to the will of God in the situation and God knows more about your situation than you do. Same thing is true for me. Even situations we're in the middle of, we don't have all the answers. But thank God we can pray the answer in other tongues. Notice how many times the Bible talks about the result being peace. The condition of peace. Jesus said, my peace that I leave with you. I'll say it again. Every time I've asked for the help of the Holy Ghost in my situation, he always leads me to speak with other tongues. He always takes me back to praying in other tongues. And soon, doesn't take a long time, soon, you get your mind quiet. If you pray in tongues long enough, you'll get your mind quiet. And then the things that you know from the word of God will come floating up from the inside of you. And you'll have a confidence that you didn't have before. Or maybe that you had before, but you lost. Just as Jude says in the one chapter of the book that he wrote, the letter he wrote to the church. In verse 20, it says, Gee, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Well, how do we build ourselves up if not strengthen ourselves spiritually? That's what building yourself up means in other places. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. I can give you example after example of things. Where my mind was. 
being bombarded with the thoughts of the enemy faster than machine gun bullets fly. And those situations are designed to take you and me away from the word of God and what it says to do. But in those times, I found that praying in other tongues long enough would quiet my mind. Won't happen instantly, but it doesn't take a long time if you give yourself to it. It quiets those thoughts that are bombarding my mind. And I come back to the place where I can examine, now wait a minute, what does the Bible say about this? What did God say about this situation? There's always an answer. Either specified in the Bible or shown to us by the character and the nature of our Heavenly Father. The Holy Ghost brings strength to us and power to us to live Christian lives and be a Christian witness by speaking in other tongues. Now it's interesting how much we focus on the public side of the gifts of the Spirit and the working of the Holy Ghost. And if we put too much emphasis there, then we forget about the private side. And the private side is where the victory is for you in your own personal life. I want to show you one other scripture over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul said, writing to the church, where do we want to start here? Um, let's start in verse uh, 36 how is it then brethren when you come together every one of you has a psalm has a doctrine has a tongue has a revelation has an interpretation let all things be done unto edifying now folks let me stop here long enough to make a comment on this We can find a lot of things wrong with the church at Corinth. They weren't living right. They weren't living up to their Christian experience. Their church services were totally in confusion because they're spending so much time praying in other tongues or speaking in other tongues during the service. But there's one thing you've got to admit about these people. They are what I would consider to be flaky and crazy charismatics. But look at one thing that, that the Holy Ghost said to them to the Apostle Paul. These people are coming to church with something. They're not coming to church to get something. They're coming to church with something. So as flaky as they may have been in the order of their services, as out of kilter some of their private lives were, and as entangled in sin as they were, that Paul identifies, they came with something. They were close enough to our Heavenly Father and the, the Holy Spirit, His agent here in the church, To have something to give. Well what does that tell you? That tells me they're spending a lot of time praying in other tongues in their own lives. Not just at church. That's one thing that's always amused me. Is oftentimes the people that want to be the ones that are seen in church. Operating in spiritual gifts. Don't think about them until the next Sunday comes around. And there's been people that I know of that are genuinely used of God in this, in these things. But they don't have the character of their lives as a foundation for these things being used. I've had people speak out in tongues or prophecy or operate in in not only our services, but in other services I've been in. And I've known them well enough to think, well, how in the world can that be God? Their lives don't bear up to what we expect should be done or should be the, the, the norm to be used of God. And I've had to eat crow on that many, many times because it turned out to, to be what turned out that what they said was exactly right. It was God all along. Well, what does that tell us? It tells us God doesn't need perfect people to use. If he could only use perfect people, there'd be only one or two people around that could, could be used at all. But does that alleviate the people from the responsibility of living a pure Christian life? No, if they shored up some areas in their personal lives, they'd gain even greater credibility and be used in a greater sense by the Holy Ghost to move and manifest himself. So, Paul is saying, 
These people have something, no question about that. He says in verse 27, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. Now he's talking about numbers of people. He's not talking about what we call messages in tongues. He's simply saying, if God's moving in your midst, in your services, in tongues and interpretation, let two or at the most three people be involved in it. That would be better than having 20 people scattered out all over the, the facility or the room wherever they were meeting, the meeting place, and everybody speaking in other tongues, delivering messages from God. So he said, let it be by two or at the most by three, but here's what I was trying to get at. Verse 28, he said, but if there be no interpreter, notice there's a difference between interpreters and interpretation. The interpreter should be a single individual, one individual in the service that would give the interpretation for what's going on. Whether it's a message in other tongues or some other move or means while the Holy Ghost is moving. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and unto God. Now here's the last part of verse 28 is what I want you to see. He says... That speaking in other tongues, which is referring to, let him speak to himself and unto God. He's saying speaking with other tongues can be, be done while everybody else is doing something different. For example, if I had an impression to speak in other tongues and there was no interpreter, if I didn't have the interpretation and there was no interpreter in the church service, Paul's advice to me is just talk quietly to myself in other tongues. Or talk quietly in other tongues. I'm speaking to God, not unto men. I'll still receive the spiritual edification that comes from speaking in other tongues. So Paul has given clear instruction that you don't have to speak out loud to be heard by God and to receive edifying, spiritual edifying. Well, that sounds like then we could do it all day long in the midst of whatever else is going on. We were, uh, before we started the church, the few years that we were traveling uh, on our own, we were in a Methodist church in uh, Conneaut Lake, New, New York. There was a just a, well, I don't know how to describe him. He was an exuberant, excellent character person that was the pastor of this church. And he knew that the chances were, in the Methodist church, I guess, I, I, this is what he told me. I never knew this was the case. But the Methodist church moves people around every two or three years. Now, there are exceptions where the people can request the pastor to stay and so forth, but the Methodist organization, whatever he was part of, his time was coming up, and he uh, uh, expected that they'd move him on. So he wanted to have somebody come in and teach on the baptism of the Holy Ghost before he left. Take one shot before he goes, you know. He was filled with the Spirit. I don't think the rest of his family was, but he was, and he, he knew that it would be something that would be beneficial to all the people in the church. So we were there for uh, about a week, I guess, and, uh, and I started off really um, not doing what I knew I was supposed to do. And the reason for that is I didn't want to create a problem for this guy in his church, in his own home church. And so I didn't want to come out too hard or too strong on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I kind of talked about it a little bit, talked around it a little bit. But the first night, the first night of the, the service, it was just terrible. You can't have a good service if you're disobeying God in the middle of it. So it was just awful. So after it was over, I had already made up my mind. I knew what the problem was. I knew why I was being hindered there. And so I just went to the pastor and I said, Pastor... The, the scripture that you use, the theme scripture that you use is about being filled with the Spirit. These are the times of refreshing, it says in Acts, that Peter preached. Well, Peter is talking about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And so he built it as times of refreshing. And I know, or I assumed, that he didn't know what, know what times of refreshing really were. And so since he was Methodist, I just kind of held everything in check until after that first night. And then I went to him and I said, Pastor, do you know what this means in the book of Acts where it says these are the times of refreshing, restoration and refreshing? He says, yeah, it's talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I said, are you filled with the Spirit? He said, yeah, sure. 
I said, oh, for goodness sakes. If I'd known that, I would have let it go. I said, I held back thinking I was going to cause you a problem. And then that's when he explained to me about the two-year, two- or three-year um, assignment. And then they move you around. And he told me, he said, I want these people to hear everything you've got to tell them about the Holy Ghost before I'm out of here. Well, from that point forward, man, we had a meeting. And there was a, um, well, we found out afterwards what the situation was. But I knew that I was going to have to do something in the middle of the service or out in front of everybody in the auditorium to get somebody filled so that everybody else could see what it was. Well, we taught on the baptism of the Holy Ghost, taught on the benefit of speaking in other tongues and what God wanted for every person and so forth. And it was, a, it was a short little platform, wasn't tall, maybe two steps just like this one. But there was a, a, an altar rail, prayer rail that, that extended on both sides of the thing, of the front. And um, so after I finished teaching for a bit, I came down on the, the floor of the auditorium. And I just sat down on top of this prayer rail or altar rail, whatever they called it. So I'm sitting down there on that rail, or as I sit down on the rail, I can hear the whole crowd gasp. (gasps) And I didn't know what had happened, but I didn't bother about it too much. I just kept going on. And so I began to explain. I asked if there was anybody that wanted to be filled with the Spirit. And one brave lady, bless her heart, one brave lady lifted her hand, and I told her to come up to the front. She sat on the front pew, and I sat down on the little prayer rail. Well, long story short, we got her filled with the Holy Spirit in just a matter of a couple of minutes. She was lifting her hands, speaking in other tongues, and just having a wonderful time. And that kind of broke everything through for the service for the rest of the week, for that uh, week-long series of meetings. And so I would have more people each night come up to the front. But because of the way that I was doing it, I wasn't emphasizing laying hands on anybody to receive, just receiving by faith and so forth. And it, um, it got easier and easier and easier. Well, at the end of the week, there was a guy that came up to us after the service. And he said that he was a a general manager at the local car dealership. And he said, you said something. I heard you say it a couple of times while you were ministering to other people. But he said, you said that because the baptism of the Holy Ghost is divinely inspired utterance, the Holy Ghost giving you utterance through your spirit and not through your mind. He said, you could add up numbers with your mind at the same time you're praying in other tongues. Well, you can't do that any other way, folks. If you're thinking about what you're going to say, talking in your natural language, the English language or whatever's first mother tongue to you, when you start thinking about what you're going to say, your mind stops adding numbers. But this guy said, as the general manager of the um, car dealership, he said, I never came up to be prayed for. I never gave you a chance to minister to me. But I sat back in the auditorium in the congregation, the pews behind you, behind the people that came up to the front to to be filled. And he said, I did the same thing that you told them to do. And he said, I was filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And he said, ever since then, I have to run adding machine, tapes on adding machines about the numbers that I'm doing and all this stuff. He said, and I can pray in tongues at the same time that's going on. He said, it's fun. And then he said, I just wanted to let you know that what you said was right. I'm glad he found out that it was. This is the rest. And this is the refreshing. And this is the spiritual edification that God has made available to us by the Holy Ghost. It's impossible to pray in other tongues without being spiritually strengthened or edified. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And you can't receive the spiritual edification or power in any other way than praying or speaking in other tongues. No wonder Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. He must have found the benefit. He must have realized the spiritual benefits of speaking in other tongues. And that's why he gave it such a place of prominence by speaking in tongues more than the the whole of the congregation, the people that were considered to be out of order were going crazy with speaking in other tongues. Paul said, I outdo every one of you when it comes to speaking in tongues. Not in the church service. Church service is for a different purpose. 
But when we speak in other tongues, when we pray in other tongues, we've got a direct line of communication between our spirit and God. It's one of the greatest ways to yield your tongue to your spirit that there is. Adam had that. When God created Adam, Adam, everything Adam spoke was out of his heart. The life of God in his spirit was the source of everything that he said. It's the means whereby God gave us, Adam specifically, to exercise dominion in the earth. But if you look over at James chapter 3, the Bible talks about the tongue being, a, being poisoned, an unruly member, uncontrollable, and set on fire by the course of hell. Well, how did it get that way? That's not the way God made it to be. God didn't put Adam and Eve in the garden with poisonous tongues. That's not the way he created it. What happened? Well, at the fall, man lost control of his tongue. His tongue is no more hooked up to his spirit. It's hooked up to his mind and his flesh. That's why when you speak out of your own mind, your mind has to be concentrated or focused on what you're going to say, and it can't be focused on anything else. But when you speak in other tongues, one of the reasons, I believe one of the biggest reasons, that it brings peace, rest, and refreshing, as he said in Isaiah. It is because it bypasses your mind. Your mind can be occupied in a totally different area or a totally different thing. And the utterance is coming directly from your spirit. And it's heard by our Heavenly Father. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Certainly that power will help you minister to others. But he's not talking about just those people that are called into the fivefold ministry. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is for everybody. So that each one of us, no matter what we do, no matter where we are in life, so that each one of us can be strengthened and empowered and used of God when he wants us to be. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Has the Holy Ghost come upon you? You filled with the Spirit? Well, then you've got a power source that you need to tap in every day, many times a day, to be strengthened spiritually. I think that the fact that the, the word edify does mean and refer, refer to a, a charging like we charge the battery. In this generation of smartphones and tablets and laptop computers and all that stuff, the average Christian wouldn't dare think about going a day without charging the, their battery up on their phone or their tablet. My goodness, they wouldn't be able to get on social media and tell everybody what they're eating for lunch. If we took the same care and recognized the same benefit and reason for charging our spirits by speaking in other tongues as we give to our iPhones and our tablets and whatever else we have. It changed a lot of people's lives. A lot of people would be changed. Because he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. He builds himself up. He's spiritually strengthened and empowered by the greater one within us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the Holy Spirit who has filled us, that he dwells on the inside of us, Father, that he equips us and he helps us. We thank you, Lord, for the stream, the ever-flowing stream, river, that comes from within us as we speak in other tongues. We thank you for the privilege that we have to spiritually edify ourselves, to build our spirits up by the power of God. We declare, Father, that we have received power because the Holy Ghost has come upon us. And that when we speak in other tongues, the power of God takes root in our spirits, our hearts, to enable us to do that which we are faced every day. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of speaking in other tongues. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Use what you've got. Amen? Amen.